funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. It's we deserve this win, man. Fox Force Five flying high in both teams. Oh my goodness! I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling it's the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate, and just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team, and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today... We have Tim Maxwell on the show of the King's Herald as well, most known maybe as Sacktown Baby Giraffe on Twitter. What's going on, Tim? How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on the show. I don't think I've been on yet this season. Um, been doing, uh, watching the tape with Sanjay Steen, uh, another podcast, but then all of a sudden now he's a Lakers fan halfway, so we've been working through that. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad to be on. I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't believe I forgot to mention watching the tape at the intro there. You guys do a great job with that pod as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, wow, that's crazy. You haven't been on since the season started. I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, yeah, so the point of today's episode or the meat and potatoes of today's episode is to kind of explain the cap implications of this coming deadline and what it means pro- probably primarily revolving around Rashawn Holmes Um and Sacramento's kind of need to get off some some of the finances of the longer contracts here, specifically talking about Barnes and Heald. And you are the cap guru, I would say, of King's Herald. And can you kind of start by, if there were no moves made this deadline, what would the cap situation look like for Sacramento this offseason? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Is I think – as we're assessing what the Kings should do from a cap perspective, right? Not even necessarily from a tanking perspective or trying to win perspective or an asset accumulation perspective, but specifically from their cap sheet. Um, if your goal is to win next year, I think you got to make a move. And here's why. Um, next year, if the Kings don't make any moves, and, and by any moves, if I reference that tonight, I mean no salary moves. They can move Whiteside. They can move Elitza, you know, Parker, some of those expiring contracts. But if they don't move any of their big salaries, any of their existing kind of contracts, um, they're going to be at about $102 million in guaranteed salary walking into this summer. And that includes the first round pick if it's in like the five to seven range. Um, and it used to be, and a lot of people bring this up to me on Twitter, it used to be that you could kind of hold off on signing your first round pick and get some more cap space that way. But the league eliminated that a few years ago. So they'll be at $102 million in guaranteed salary. That includes Corey Joseph's partially guaranteed $2.4 million. I can't imagine the Kings will bring him back. And I think that's going to be with 12 uh, rostered players. So that's not that's including the first-round pick, um, not including any second-round picks. And it's also not kind of touching on any cap holds, which are what your free agents kind of take up before you either renounce them, meaning you let them walk away. The Kings don't have many restricted free agents, I don't think, except for Kyle Guy. 
Um, but, you know, especially Rashawn Holmes, he's going to have a cap hold of about $6 million. So uh, we know that the cap is going to be – the NBA's cap is going to be about $112 million. And so they're going to have $10 million in cap space, but there's not really any cap space there because of the Holmes situation, um, because of his cap hold, and because Kings – will probably choose to operate as an over-the-cap team at that point because of some other salary benefits. So if I can put it in, in a summary, assuming that the Kings don't move Buddy or Barnes um, or even Bagley walking into the offseason, assuming those guys aren't moved on draft night, which would be pretty unlikely in my opinion, the Kings will almost certainly go into the offseason as an over-the-cap team despite being what we think to be in the lottery. And the primary benefit of being an over-the-cap team would be to have the MLE available, right? Right, exactly. So um, if they had you know, 9 to $10 million in cap space, that's fine, but then you don't get granted what's called the standard mid-level exception, which is for teams over the cap, under the tax, and the MLE next year is $9.7 million. So it's, it's about the same space as what they would have in cap space. It's actually slightly more. They would also gain access to the biannual exception, which they probably wouldn't use, but it's about $4 million. Um, and then they could use things like early bird rights to re-sign Rashawn Holmes potentially, which we can get into that in a minute. But, yeah, that would be the main benefit is gaining that MLE to be able to spend on hopefully a quality player. So so the MLE would not be used to re-sign Holmes? That's a great question. Do you think – so the MLE is about $9.7 million. Right. You can give um, a four-year contract with 5% raises. So you're probably looking at a nine, a four-year, $41 million contract with Holmes. I mean, do you think he's going to sign for $10 million a year? I think it's possible. Um, I think a lot of people think he ends up with more than that. And, you know, like my absolute walking point is probably 15, and I don't feel really good about that, and that's the number I hear thrown out a lot. Um, I don't think it's without – I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility, but it's probably not likely. Where Where are you at with that? Yeah, I agree. Like, I, can I see a scenario where Holmes likes it in Sacramento? This has obviously been the best stop of his career. The Kings love him from everyone I've talked to and heard. The Kings love Holmes, um, and he's loved in the locker room. He's respected, obviously. His family is very invested in the community. Um, and so I could see him getting the MLE next summer. The scary part is if you don't make a move and he gets any more than the MLE, he's gone, right? So, like, if the Kings lose or Sean Holmes, there's no one in free agency that's going to replace his production. You're probably not drafting a big man. I don't think, you know, Marvin Bagley is now another question mark on top of all of these other question marks with his recent injury. Um so I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, if Holmes is a priority this offseason, we don't know if he is for the Kings, are they willing to risk him walking for nothing because they didn't make a move? And that's a big question. He could sign for $10 million, but if he gets an offer for 12 he's gone. Or for ten, for $11, he has gone. So that's a, that's a very tricky situation for him to navigate moving forward. Definitely. And where do you reach um, a point, you know, if they were to dump or – get off the salary of Barnes or Heald. Um, where is your walking point with Holmes on an annual salary? Yeah, right around yours. Like, I would love to get Holmes for 12 a year. If I could sign him for, like, three years, $36 million, I think that would be fantastic. I might, like, 
I might even rather pay him a little bit more annually and shorten the contract. If I could give him even three for 45, I'd be pretty comfortable with that rather than like four for 60. You know, like the more years I add on, the the less money I want to give annually because, I mean, the center position isn't, you know, the, the center position isn't, it's the least valuable position in the NBA for a lot of reasons. And so, I mean, you look at the fact that the Kings did sign home for $5 million a year. doesn't mean they can find another Holmes for $5 million a year really easily, but it doesn't mean you can't find a competent starting center either. So I'm right around the $12, $13 million range, really where I'd like to stay um, any more than that. And I'm, I'm really looking at my checkbook and seeing, okay, do I really want to invest you know, $60 million in a solid starting center who's, I mean, I don't want to say, Holmes is pretty good, but he's not becoming an all-star. He's not becoming like a really good player. He's he's kind of who he is, who is a, a solid starting center. Um, so yeah, I, I think right around 12, 14 million. If another team comes in at four for 65, I'm, I'm out. Okay. I can't do that. Yeah. I, I think we're on the same page. And, um, you know, I, I think that his uh, cap situation or his worth in the off season can be an entirely different conversation as well. Um, at some point down the line, assuming, he makes it past this trade deadline. Um, and so let, let's throw out like a, you know, what the typical Celtics offer you here is, right? Is say it's Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams in a first. Um, so the Kings would get off about $16 million in salary is what I have here. Um, so then they're functioning as an under the cap team this off season, right? Yep. And then you would need to say, you know, about $12 million or so of that to homes, Roughly, right? And if that was your intention, and then you'd have about four million to work with after that, and then and then there's like a mini MLE, right? Yeah. So if we moved Barnes for Nice, if we're cutting like eight million in salary, right? Something along those lines. Yeah, I think it's nineteen points. Nineteen. Yeah. yeah, something along those lines. I didn't do the exact math. So and remember, we already had ten-ish of cap space, right? Like without moving, we were just going to choose to operate over the cap. So yeah, um, if we move Barnes for Neesmith, we're going to be at right around, um, make sure my math appears right. Yeah, right around $85 million in guaranteed salaries. So yeah, if if we sign homes for 12, you're looking at 97, 98. Um, yeah, you're looking at a, a, a decent chunk of cap space there. Um, and then, like you said, you've got the the room exception, which is around four million dollars. So the Kings could make a move there. And I I think for me, um, you know, you talk about the like the traditional Celtics trade. If you're if you're going with that or moving Buddy, which we can talk about in a minute too, if you want. Um, do you think the Kings should kind of expand their big man acquisition target beyond Rashawn Holmes? Like we have the money. Are you, are, are you talking about this offseason? Yeah, this off, sorry, this offseason. So say we move we move um, Barnes for Neesmith. So we, we're sitting yeah. at $30 million in cap space. That's, that's about what we're at, somewhere in there, right. 28 to 32. Um, do you think we should go, okay, Rashawn Holmes, you're a nice starting center. You're also 27. And Are you, are you about to say John Collins, Tim? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you say names. <laughs> I didn't say any names. You have, there's more than, you know, there's, there's Laurie Marquette, right? That's, yeah. that's another, another name Kelly out there. Kelly Oubre, Lonzo. Kelly Oubre, um, who's, you know, more of like a 3-4. But, again, do you think the Kings should, if they do that, shift their, shift their 
sites on a larger target than Rashawn Holm? Um, man, I, I don't know about should. I mean, I, I don't love John Collins. I think he's the most appealing one out of all the guys there, but I worry that John Collins is going to get paid too much money. Um, I don't feel great about, you know, $25 million annually for John Collins, and I definitely am like a defensive uh, focused guy, I guess. So that's where I, I lose uh, my faith in Collins a little bit. But I will say, like, I, I, I mean, I think it's more worth investing money in those guys than, you know, if you are forced to overpay for homes because, again, like, like you mentioned, and we've talked about a bunch here and all over the place, that the center is a pretty replaceable uh, role in general. So, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know that I lean that you should um, look towards Collins, but I, I think that it's definitely valuable that it gives you that flexibility if you move on from one of Barnes or Buddy. Yeah, and there's other names out there. There's Lonzo Ball, right? That's another name. I don't know if you like Lonzo or not, but um, mm-hmm. we could go get Rondo. That's your favorite Kings player of all time. Right? <laughs> yeah. I have to publicly uh, apologize you know for this, by the way. Yeah. yeah, if anybody has not seen this, I definitely uh, did a Celtics podcast yesterday um, as a guest, and, um, yeah, they, they did a rapid-fire questions to me at the end it was like 60 seconds and they just threw out a bunch of questions I had to answer off the top of my head they asked my favorite king of all time and I uh, have not watched king's basketball for all that long and my favorite player ever period that got me like hooked on basketball is Rajon Rondo so that came out of my mouth and I deeply regret it Um, I don't know if you could have picked a worse name yeah no and I knew right before I said it too yeah, I should have gone Isaiah Thomas. Like, the, okay, so honestly, the first name that came to mind was Tyrese Halliburton, but I felt like I couldn't say a current player. Um, yeah, no, it was horrible. It was horrible. Anyways, was but, I, but no, I'm not interested in Rondo. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is he locked up for multiple years? I don't. I don't. I don't remember. Um, so yeah, I, I think moving Bonds, buddy, we can say it guarantees us our ability to resign Holmes. It does. And I think that we can also say what also guarantees our ability to do something else, whether that's sign a restricted free agent, sign an unrestricted free agent, make a big trade on, you know, um, a contract for assets. Or, um, you know, Carmichael Dave was on the same mimic today on KHTK, and, and they were both pretty like, yeah, we're pretty sure Monty's plan is to gain assets and then trade for a star to pair with Howie and Fox. And if you have $30 million in cap space, when if and when a star becomes available, like, Cap space is very attractive to a team trading a star because you don't have to take a bunch of crappy contracts back. So um, the point you made earlier, moving one of these guys opens up opportunities, and then we all can disagree about what opportunity they should take. I think if I can be, like, really picky here, you could trade Barnes or Buddy. Open up your cap space. Sign Collins, because I know you don't want to do that. And then dump Bagley to open up the cap space to sign Holmes. Mm-hmm. Would you be okay with that? I would, actually, because I feel like Collins just fills the Bagley role. Right, a much better Bagley. Yeah. And healthy. Right. And Yeah, or, it's intriguing. Uh, here, here's, yeah, here, here's the real play. Here's Tim's, like, psycho, the, the full plan. Mm-hmm. Trade Barnes for Neesmith Smith and a pick. Trade Holmes for a pick. Trade Buddy for leftover salmon, whatever you can get for Buddy. Have a million, billion dollars in cap space. Then re-sign Holmes in free agency. And then re-sign, or just, then just reach out to Collins and sign him. 
Nothing illegal. Yeah, that's Not yeah, it's just a loan of Rashawn Holmes to a different team yeah, for our first round. And for a few months. Yeah, and then we, we get him back. Nothing illegal about it. I love it. Yeah, obviously here for it. Um, yeah. So if it – do you feel like – because I, I think that I've kind of been approaching it – excuse my dog's squeaky toy in the background. Um, I've been approaching it as, you know, the pressure is on Danny Ainge right now. Um, the, the two names are, the two teams are interlinked a lot, Harrison Barnes to Boston. You're hearing it nonstop. Even if you're hearing that it's not happening anymore, you're still hearing about it. Uh, you know, it's smokescreen season and everything. I've been saying, you know, the pressure is on Ainge. But do you think there's a pressure on McNair because of this cap situation? And if you don't do anything that potentially second offseason in a row, you're letting an asset walk for nothing in homes? Yeah, I think, there's, I think there's more pressure on Ainge for sure because although dumping a guy like Buddy or Barnes is difficult on draft night or, like, first day of free agency, I think you could do it. Like, is there a team that would take on Buddy potentially on draft night, even if we had to send a couple of small assets? Probably. But Ainge has to make a move in the next, like, six days, seven days, whatever it is. So, yeah, I, I think the pressure is more on Ainge. Um, they're 20 and 20 right now. The Celtics are like a game and a half out of falling out of eighth seed or something like that. I think they're the seventh seed right now. Um, and, and ironically, they play the Kings tomorrow night. But yeah, Ainge, you probably have a better read on the Boston situation than I do. But there seems to be this like momentum building with Ainge. I mean, the joke has been for years, right? He always almost makes the trade. That's like the Ainge joke, and he's kind of in on it. But like someday you have to make the trade because. Celtics look good, right? Like, do you think the Celtics get out of the first round or this year? Man, I mean, if if they're, I don't know, only if they're like the four or five seed, you know, if they're after that, you have to play Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee in the first round. It's pretty scary. Yeah. What if they traded for Holmes and Barnes? How does that make them? Yeah, I, I think, and it would be like, say, Robert Williams in return for Holmes, right? Um, it's interesting because I don't know, like Boston and I haven't watched, you know, the last 15 games of the Celtics outside of one here or there, but like people are so high on Robert Williams. It's insane. And I think it's interesting that like, if, if that swap were to happen on top of whatever Barnes move, um, that both fan bases would be annoyed with that weirdly. Um, but Holmes is like clearly an upgrade in my mind over Robert Williams right now. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that makes them better. Um, but I think that, you know, they need – like, I, I think that Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson and, and, say, Robert Williams as well, like, I think that's a fine center rotation for a contending roster. Um, really, they need wing players. They need to not be playing Grant Williams, Javante Green, Semi Ojolet, Um, I, I mean, even Jeff Teague, you know, playing at the two guard. Um, I think they just really need wing players. And the Barnes deal just makes so much sense to me. I feel like I've been saying it for, like, months. It's just it, it makes so much sense, and he fits into that TPE, obviously, gives Sacramento a lot of cap relief. Um, to talk about the deal from your point of view, like, what 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 do you like in return? Um, what, what's the deal that you have in mind as fair value for both teams? At this point, especially assuming we're not going to move, buddy, because, like, everything you hear – yeah, like there have been zero buddy heel trade rumors. There was like yeah. mention of him in an athletic article a few weeks ago about Philly might kind of be interested, but probably not, and that was it. Um, if I'm Sack, I need two assets. 
and I'm kind of flexible on what those assets are because obviously there's like different there's different levels of assets. I would say Robert Williams is the number one young player slash pick asset that Boston has. So if Boston's offering me Robert Williams, I don't think they would. But if they do, then my second asset can be, I don't know, a, a lesser player, right? I don't know how far down it'll be that pattern. I don't. I said lesser, <laughs> not 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 an NBA player. Um, I mean, we have Justin James if we want someone in that role. Uh, so yeah, it's it's like give me two assets. If you give me Aaron Neesmith and a pick, great. If you give me Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, great. If you give me Peyton Pritchard and a pick, great. If you give me honestly two picks and Langford, great. I'm yeah. I'm really okay with any of their two like quality assets. Um, from reports we've been hearing, Kings aren't okay with those at return, but we also don't know who the Celtics are offering. So are you kind of in that same boat with me, like just two assets gets it done for you? Yeah, I am. Um, And and I think that, like, I I keep coming back to Grant Williams as like a throw-in that I feel like you could haggle over because he just doesn't seem to really have a role in Boston. Um, And, yeah, might as well just get more out of it if you can. So I keep coming back to two assets and then throw in Grant Williams as well. Um, and, and I'm assuming that it's not Robert Williams. Like I, I think if it is, yeah, Robert Williams and and the pick, sure. Um, but I, I keep coming back to Neesmith, the pick, and Grant Williams. You know who I'm scared of for the Kings? I'm scared that? of Rudy Gay. Why is I'm, that? I'm scared that Rudy Gay is like the cheap option instead of Harrison Barnes. He's on the block. Like the Heat had huh. trade conversations for Rudy Gay. Um, that came out in the Miami Herald today. So could you see Danny Ainge going, well, I need wing play. Rudy Gay is averaging, you know, 11, 5, and 2 this year. He's competent from three-point range. He's he's more of a four than a three these days, but frankly, so is Harrison Barnes. Um, he's on a, a much cheaper deal. They could probably, like, they, they don't probably need to use the TPE for him. So do you see, and it doesn't have to be necessarily be Rudy Gay, but do you have any fears of we're not as good wing player getting under like the Celtics undercutting the Kings in that way and then Barnes doesn't have a destination. That's interesting. Um I, I think that a lot of the appeal of Barnes is that he does have this year and two more and it lines up perfectly with Kemba Walker. Um and yeah, I mean I think that, you know, part of the reason they value these wings is the switchability and defensive versatility. And I don't know how much Rudy Gay is bringing on the defensive end of the floor at this point in his career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Harrison Barnes is far and away a better player. And, and if you have to give up assets for Ruby Gay for one year, it's not doing anything. Like, I, I think the appeal of Barnes from Boston's point of view isn't solely this year. Again, it's like the two years after that as well where they can, you know, finagle with the roster a little bit this offseason. Um, and also happen for the season after that and comes off the books the same time as Kemba when they want to make a big move. And I don't have the names off the top of my head, but there's a bunch of free agents on the market and that you could maybe you know bring one in to pair with uh, Tatum and Brown. So I don't worry about it too much. Like I think that Barnes is the best player available for Boston that, that is like clearly available that we know in right. talks, right? Like if Jeremy Grant was there, um, which it sounds like they went after, that'd be a better player, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. And are there? Do you think there are any other teams that Barnes fits really well? I mean, I think I would have said the Heat, but they traded for a reason. It seems like they're, I mean, okay with the ghost of Trevor Ariza. Um, any other teams that you think, oh, you know, that that makes sense for for both sides, both sides? 
Um, I, I do think that Miami is interesting, even with Ariza. Um, I, I think, you know, something centered around Precious and their pick and then matching salary would be something like, I think it's Olenek and Mo Harkless, right? I think you actually tweeted this same trade yesterday. Something along those lines. Yeah, so I, I still think that's really interesting. Like, I like Precious better than Neesmith, actually. Um, but the the tricky thing with the Miami is, I think the first-round pick they can trade is not until 2025. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that. It would obviously have a lot to do with the protections there, um, because if you can get it on low protections and things are up in the air for where Miami will be at that time, that's appealing. But at the same time, while I'm all for this like mini rebuild of sorts, I don't think you can push your assets that far down the line. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because a, a large part of me agrees with you. And I go, well, I would really rather have a pick now or next year because this is when the rebuild is happening. Um, and then I go, well, like just to kind of play devil's advocate with myself and with you, um, if I have a pick out in 2025, I mean, hope, I hope and pray and beg and everything that the Kings are in the playoffs in 2025, right? All of a sudden, you know, Boston over the last – five or six years, one of their big things has been we're a playoff team with extra picks so we can make moves because we don't need to sacrifice our own pick or we can put our pick with another one and make a big move or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think in that context, if Kings aren't hitting the playoffs to like the 2022-2023 season, you've got a pick coming up in the next couple of years. You can use that as an asset during that time, whether that's you're going to actually pick a player because the Miami Heat maybe aren't that good anymore and you get a nice player or you can, you know, deal that pick for moving up in the draft or whatever. But, yeah, I, I do agree that I would rather have an asset coming in sooner, uh, and a lot of that's just due to fan impatience. We need to turn this thing around um, and turn this around quickly. Yeah, definitely. I think you need to see a positive trajectory as soon as next year. Um, and, and there's the framework for it now. I, I think, you know, the moves we're talking about and a high draft pick puts them in a really good position pretty quickly here. And then the one other team that I think makes some sense um, is Denver for Barnes. But the tricky thing is the matching salary is Gary Harris, and he also goes in next season, um, which, you know, kind of ruins the whole point of, you know, making financial flexibility this offseason, right? But say, you, I mean, you could Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, Zeke Naji, um, which I guess is somewhat intriguing prospects, um, and you're fitting the younger idea, and Gary Harris wouldn't be horrible next season or anything. But, yeah, him not – the matching salary not being expiring is uh, definitely unideal. And Harris makes like, – does he make like 12 or something like that? Uh, it's 19 this year. Oh, 19. Oh, shoot. Oh, man. Why did they pay Gary Harris 19? I know. Well, why did, why did we pay Buddy Hield $86 million? That's the questions. Yeah, okay, so it's going to be six. Uh, no, sorry. It's going to be, yeah, $20 million next year, actually. So it's oh. backloaded. So it's the same Barnes. Oh, yeah. More than, right. More than. Because Barnes DS, I don't know how much he makes next year. It's right around twenty. Right? Uh, he's at twenty-two this year, twenty next year, and then eighteen the year after. So it's basically there's no movement immediate, but there's, I guess you're getting one year less salary, and you're getting Hampton. I, I'd probably, I, I definitely make that deal with Buddy. Right. But yeah, I would rather take the Celtics package if there is the Celtics package out there. Um, how do you feel about Buddy and his trade value or lack thereof? So it's interesting to me because I wanted to have this conversation with you. You know, if it came down to 
dumping Buddy for absolutely nothing or going into this offseason uncertain on if you're going to be able to fit Holmes into that MLE. Um, I, I don't know where I stand because I, I think Buddy, while he doesn't have value right now, down the line will um, because that contract is de-escalating. And at some point, you know, I think a team can look at him and say, you know, he's misutilized in Sacramento. He could he could pick up his level of play. Maybe he ends up moving to the bench, even though maybe he won't be the most content about it and, and pick up um, his level of play there and kind of get back to the buddy healed that can like fully take over games, which I feel like we've rarely seen this season. Um, but I, I don't know that I would dump buddy for absolutely nothing. Um because I, I don't know how much better that is than just losing homes for nothing. Uh, I, well, I think I'm lower on Buddy than most Kings fans. I think he's a net negative. I think on court and off court, both. But his contract is looking pretty awful. Um, his I was looking up his incentives the other day. Hey, he's prob- almost certainly going to hit two of his incentives, and – his incentivized conduct is an interesting twist because basically what happens with incentives is if he meets them the year prior to the following year, they become likely. And sometimes when you hear incentives, they're like, what's the difference between likely and unlikely? If the player hits them in the previous season, they become likely, and they become a cap hold because they are likely to hit them the following year as well. If he doesn't hit them, then they're unlikely to count as a cap hold. The salary isn't affected that way, but the cap hold is. So he's actually next year – going to be a cap hold of $23 million, not $22 million like we all keep talking about, um, which a million dollars isn't that big of a deal. But if he keeps hitting those one $1.5 million incentives every year for the rest of his contract, that's not very fun for us to pay out every year. You know, it's another $5, 6000000 million in, in cash. Um, I tweeted this stat out today. There are 11 NBA players taking eight or more threes a game because the thing that I always hear about Buddy is, well, he's a volume three so volume threes at you know 27% is more valuable than three threes a game at 42%, which is true. But there are 11 players doing that this year, 11 players shooting eight or more threes, and Buddy Heald ranks ninth in three-point percentage and 11th in field goal percentage. So I go, okay, he of, of that list of guys, besides, there's like Steph Curry and James Harden on there, you know, those sorts of players. But outside of the superstars on that list, he's the highest paid, and he's one of the worst shooters. And then, of course, we know Buddy doesn't really do anything else. He's become a slightly better passer, I guess we can say. Yeah. But, I mean, like, his percentage is actually down last year. Um, I, I went through this on watching the tape um, a few weeks ago, but looking at his stats from 2018-2019, which was like the peak of his career, right, to now. So he's went from 20.7 points in 18-19 to 19.2 last year to 16.5 this year. Three-point percentage went from 42.7 to 39.4 to 37.4. Field goal percentage has gone from 45.8 to 42.9 to 38.4. And you just go down the line, and he's he's literally gotten worse for two consecutive years, substantially worse, like not just a little bit worse. And he's playing far more minutes. Um, If you look at, like, the per 36, 2018-2019, he was hitting 23.3 points per game. This year it's 17. So, like, you, you know, you talked about we're not seeing that same Buddy Heal that can take over games. I don't know what happened to Buddy. I, I, I legitimately, it's kind of a mystery to me. I don't know if he focused on too many other areas of his game. 
if he just isn't as comfortable in the Walton system. I don't know what it is, but I don't. I really don't want to pay Buddy Heald for the next three years. That just is not attractive to me. Um, how how much would you agree that his value is pretty low right now? For sure. Like, what do you think his value is? Like, just from, like, if a team was forgets, like, I don't want to say forget salaries, but, like, let's say they're going to include an expiring contract. Like, what would you say his value is right now? Um, Like, I mean, first name comes to mind, what, like a Frank Nielakina? Like, yeah, like a, a high, high first round pick or, like, if, yeah. an okay young player, right? Like, yeah. How much better is his value going to get coming off the bench for Sacramento? Well, I think the the value more so would be that he, there's just less years on that contract with time. Okay. I guess that may, I mean, I, I think his value can go up. Like, I don't think he's bottomed out and can never get better. But for me, I go, well, if I can get, I don't know, whatever solid young player you can name out there, and I can get off of uh, – DeAnthony Melton, you put that out there today. I'd do I that put that out today. If I can get DeAnthony Melton, if I can get – um, I, I honestly, I'd probably do it for Nidakina. I'd probably do it for Kevin Knox. Oh, um, I know. Like that's. I mean, yeah. w- would you take that risk? With Ke- I know Kevin Knox sucks, but would you take that risk and just go? Well, he's you know former Lotto pick. Maybe he's got something. Oh man, yeah. Well, like you said, Kevin Knox sucks. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, I, I don't think if you're doing that trade, I'm, I'm definitely not looking at it as well. Well, we got Kevin Knox. I'm looking at. It. I'm oh, not we got so, cap yeah. space. Yeah. Right. I'm not celebrating that. Uh, what'd you do it for? Let me think of another player. Um, like Joshua Kochi. Interesting. Um, that's a name I've I've looked at for a while. Interesting. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, you know, that's, it's just like, and how, how much, I know his value can increase, but then I go, okay, how much, how much can Buddy's value increase? Right. Over the next year. And, and is that gamble on, let's hope Buddy Hield is good enough to get us the 20th pick in the draft, the 25th pick in the draft, a, a, a better young player? How much is that worth me not having any spending money this summer to do whatever, you know, what, whoever's listening to this, whatever you want to do with that cap space, pursue John Collins, take on a bad contract, uh, re-sign Rashawn Holmes, keep the cap space to go into the year to try to trade for a start. However you want to do whatever you want to do, how much is that moderate increase in value worth? I, that's just my question. Like, on, honestly, and this is me being real. Is not being like dramatic. If a team offered me two second round picks and expiring contracts to Buddy Heald on the last day, like the last minute of the trade deadline, and I can't move Barnes, I'm taking it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight back on that or or crazy criticize it or anything. I guess, and you know, we'll never know. I would be pretty hung up on just so curious what that Boston deal was that, that was walked away from. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I get it because I think that, you know, in my mind, like the peak buddy is obviously going to be when he's expiring, when you're talking about um his, his trade value. And I think, you know, the return at that point is matching salary and what, like, like you said, like 20th, 25th pick in the draft, I guess. Um, he, he's going to be 31. Chase, yeah, two. Chase, I didn't even think of that. So he's JJ Redick basically at that point. 
Right. Like, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, Reddit I can't shoot this year, so maybe that's unfair. But I mean, at this rate. <laughs> as his three-point percentage decreases every season by 3%, I mean, he's going to be shooting like 20% by the time he retires. Right, 33% from the field. Yeah. yeah. And I think Sam Amick referenced this in, in his interview with, with Carmichael Dave today on KHTK. Like, the Kings are in a precarious position with three players, Holmes, Barnes, Buddy. I don't think you can not afford to move any of them, but they're all going to affect each other, right? Because if I can move Barnes to Boston for a solid package, then I don't need to dump healed. If I can dump healed, then I'm not as much under pressure to take a crappy package from Boston. And then Holmes is like just kind of hovering in the background of Amex said it today, which kind of surprised me, honestly. He said Holmes has more value than Buddy or Barnes. He said Holmes has the most value of any Kings player huh. outside of Fox and Halliburton. Like he was, like not even, not even questioning that. And if Barnes can get you theoretically a young pit or a pick and a young player, can Holmes get you two picks? Can Holmes get you you know two young players and a pick? Like interesting. And if that's the case, I'm having a hard time saying I will save forty-five to sixty million dollars in cap space by not paying Holmes, and I'm going to gain. Serious assets, it sounds like. And if I can move Buddy or excuse, Holmes and one of Buddy or Barnes so I can get cap space, I don't have to resign Holmes and I get assets from each of those players, then Monty McNair is looking like he's in a really good position. Um, right. And you, we, we know his MO is probably going to be gain assets for, for a, a big move. And if you can get pretty soft assets for Harrison Barnes and Ron Holmes and you've got cap space, whatever you want to do from there. Right. You're looking like you're in pretty good shape. Um, how are you going to feel if the Kings don't make any moves? Like, aside from, like, Bielitsa. Mm-hmm. I was going to throw this your way as well. I, I would be disappointed because there's a lot of buyers, and I think that Sacramento is a, a clear seller. And like you're saying, one of those three guys in my mind, in my mind needs to be moved on from. Um, so I'd be pretty disappointed, but I would hold out to fully criticize McNair until this offseason. Like, I, I would have to just push it off and be like, okay, well, maybe he's going to move one of them at the draft. Or, um, yeah, and, and just I, I would hold off before completely saying this was a failure of sorts um, because there still is an opportunity to make up for it down the line. But I, I would be pretty disappointed. There's absolutely no moves outside of, like, fringe things, like you're saying, Whiteside or uh, Bielitsa or anything. Where are you at with that? Yeah, I would – honestly, I'll have a hard time not being pissed. Yeah. Assuming it doesn't come out that Boston offered Lingford in a second-round pick, right? Like, assuming that there was a legitimate offer on the table for Holmes or Barnes or Buddy. Man, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be really hard mentally to walk into next season with the same core. And by core I mean like starting five, right? Like I guess we'll have the draft pick, so maybe we get someone who steps, you know, starts I don't know. But if we walk into next season paying De'Aaron Fox twenty eight million dollars, Harrison Barnes twenty million dollars, and Buddy Heald twenty three million dollars, and Rashawn Holmes Assuming we resign him, let's say twelve million dollars. That's and her, Marvin Bagley eleven million dollars. That's going to be really hard. And my whole point here, I guess, from my standpoint, I'm gonna write about this at some point when my when my personal life calms down a little bit. Is where do you go from there? 
I know you said yes, we can we can and it's true, we could potentially move Buddy or Barnes on draft night or in the offseason, but the advantage to moving them right now is that teams only have to give up expiring contracts. Who cares, right? Like the like the Memphis Grizzly don't care about moving Jake, right? Like who cares? He's not coming back. And and you can go down a list of expiring contracts, there's a million of them in the NBA, and they're gone. They're not coming back. Who cares? But if you try to deal big contracts in the offseason, you're asking for cap space. Cap space is wildly more valuable than expiring contract. Like teams don't want to pay Buddy Heald $23 million next year, and they definitely don't want to use $23 million of cap space to acquire Buddy Heald. And I'm not saying they have to use all of their cap space, but if the Kings are looking for financial flexibility, you know, you're looking for cap space. So it's just, it's a conundrum. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's, and, it's sad because it's not Monty McNair's fault. He didn't sign any of these guys. In fact, he did everything in his power this offseason to not be in this situation with letting Bogdan Bogdanovich walk, you know, signing only minimum deals, things like that. But, I mean, he signed up for a job that's going to be tough, and I'm, I'm pretty annoyed if the Kings don't do anything um, because then we're left questioning with, A, what was the goal, B, what were the offers, and then C, you know, who was influencing who in these decision-making processes. Definitely, definitely. Um, and, and I will say a big appeal for me of, you know, moving on from specifically Barnes or, or I guess Holmes. I don't, I don't think Buddy really falls into this. I think it makes the Kings significantly worse. Um, oh, yeah. That they drop, you know, two, three spots into maybe like a fifth best odds range because Holmes and Barnes are two of the least replaceable players on the roster this season. If you, I, aside from De'Aaron Fox, Holmes is the most important positional player for the Kings. Because if you, I, I, we, I was talking to this about, uh, to a couple people about this earlier today. If you move Holmes, the reason, I'm just going to stumble all of my words until I get to my point here. <laughs> I don't think the Kings are going to move Holmes because of the Bagley injury. And that sounds weird, but if you move Holmes, you're probably moving Whiteside. Bagley's hurt. Me too's hurt. Me too's hurt. You, who are you playing at center? Robert Woodard. It's Robert Woodard time. <laughs> I mean, and maybe and, you know, and and I, you know, maybe you're trading for a Tristan Thompson or a Jang or you know another yeah. big. So maybe it's okay. But we know we've heard. I shouldn't say we know. We've heard that the Kings' ownership and elements of management aren't necessarily keen on like bottoming out hard. And if you move Holmes while Bagley is hurt, you're going to lose every game. Right. I mean, it's, it's just what it is. But I, I do agree with your point. Moving Barnes and or Holmes uh, makes you significantly worse. And honestly, even moving Buddy, I know I think Buddy hasn't been very good this year, but if you're moving Buddy, you're starting Halliburton, and what just happened to your bench? Corey Joseph happened to your bench. That's what happened to your bench. you got Corey Joseph – and Justin James and Robert Woodard, you know, assuming Whiteside and, and B-Leads are gone, you have zero bench. And so the Kings, even Buddy being moved, is going to make them a decent amount worse. And we know the Kings are kind of playing for the lottery this year. There's there's really five guys in the lottery this year, so they can get into the top five. Um, it's It's well worth moving Barnes or Buddy or Holmes, and that's not even counting, you know, obviously the assets that they would get back for a couple of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, what would a Holmes deal need to look like for you? 
if we were talking yeah, instead of it, it, It's got to be a contender, right? Like, it's a realm. Yeah, the one that made a lot of sense to me earlier in the year, I felt like, was Toronto, but Toronto's been bad. Um, bad, bad. And, yeah, and they may be sellers with Lowry. Um, but say, like, your main return is a early 20s first. Is that enough? That's really hard. If it's if it's let's say pick twenty two, I'm just gonna throw a yeah. pick out there. Twenty two. I mean, a lot of it has to do I, with I, like behind the scenes research of like what is his market gonna be this off season, right? Yeah. Right, and and also like again, what am I doing with Barnes and Buddy? I think that's like another impact. If I'm if I move Barnes and I move Holmes, now I've got a billion dollars this off season. I'm in really good shape. Um, I'm I'm gonna reflexively say no to the pick number 22 for Holmes. That sounds weird for me because I've been pushing to move Holmes really all year, but he's been really good, and I think he's going to get an okay contract this year. Would you trade him for number 22? I'd really have to think about it. Like, I I think that – I mean, I think that you see replacement-level centers in the late first round all the time. That's true. Um. Like, and Isaiah Stewart from last year, um, like, we're, yeah, I, I mean, Robert Williams was a late first-round pick, you know. I think that if, if the idea was to use that pick on a big man, or you don't even necessarily have to, but I think that you could get a replacement, but then you're doing the whole, you know, it, it could even be Rashawn Holmes. Um, Probably not after you know, kind of the AMIC reporting you were talking about. But it's close. It's close. Yeah. Again, it, w- it would have to do a lot with, you know, you have to gauge the market prior and understand what is he going to get this offseason because the other aspect of that AMIC report that scares me is, does that mean that Holmes is about to really get paid this offseason? Yeah, that's true. That's so valuable. I didn't think about that side of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, and there's not a lot of – I mean, this offseason kind of reminds me of last offseason where, like, there's not that many good players available. There's a decent amount of cash on the table. Um, teams, I think, are going to be weird again this offseason. I don't know if that's going to mean they're conservative or if they're going to spend because fans, you know, are getting back in seats. Yeah, 22 for Holmes is, like, right on the verge of me saying yes, but I'm – like you said, I'm gonna gauge the market. I'm gonna gauge what's happening with um with Barnes and Heald. Yeah. Um you know, just thinking about a couple of teams that could use him. Um obviously Brooklyn could really use him. I think Milwaukee could really use him. Brooke Lopez has not been good this year. Um he's kind of fading into existence, into nothingness. Um and then I think Boston could use him too. And then from the Western Conference, the Lakers. If if the Lakers could somehow get Rashawn Holmes, that would be the best move they've made since getting LeBron at eighty. Because he just, I think he fits that really well. I know he's not a floor spacer, but he's got that little push shot that he can hit it from ten feet. Obviously, he's got the pick and roll game. He can take on the bigs that eighty doesn't want to uh, doesn't want to take on. So here's my question. You know what my question is? An unprotected 2026 first rounder? No, Kuzma. Oh God. Um. Oh God. 
you're going to do this to me. I'm going to do it to you. He said Rondo, so you may as well just take the <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, I don't even know. If, I think you can make the salaries work. I, have, I haven't looked at it at all. I was just looking through teams. Yeah. Do you remember Kuzma's contract? Is he making like eleven million or something? Um, I can pull it up real quick right here. It's uh thirteen million a year. Thirteen. Yeah. Um, which starts next off season. So does that allow? Because it, it it's the whole poison pill thing, right? Poison pill. Yeah. So he's he's gonna get traded for the average of his current salary. Um, I think I have this off the top of my head. But the average of his current salary. And his next deal. So, um, but let, let's yeah. just say let's say the contracts will work, or right. we can get the contracts to work. Would you? So basically, you know, we said Holmes is going to make between twelve and fifteen in the off season. Probably you're going to pay Kuzma thirteen. Uh, who would you rather pay? I mean, it's. I think the answer is Kyle Kuzma. That's the Eileen. I feel yeah. bad saying that. I feel bad about my, my Kings fandom, but it's just played okay this year. Yeah, like Kuzma's turned it on on the defensive end starting last year. He's, he's shooting 37% from deep this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's like a really solid role player um, at a more valuable position than Holmes. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's 25? Uh yeah, twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. So he's a little younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think to make that deal. It makes me feel yucky. Um, there yeah. there would have to be some more salary machinations in there because I just tried it and um, it doesn't work for either team. But you could make you could involve a third team and, and make it work. Yeah. See, this um, is why you haven't come on this year because you throw this shit out here, Tim. It's what I do, man. Like, <laughs> is is my, like, not brand on Twitter? Like, let's piss off King's Twitter and then just run away. You get a Lakers happens. co-host and you don't know how to act, yeah. It's true. I mean, <laughs> I just – that's how I roll. Um, would you do Holmes for THT? Um, that's I, interesting. I yeah, I, I, I think – I definitely lean no. Um, yeah, probably I think not. He's, he's, he's too unproven at this point. Yeah, like he played well for the Lakers when he has LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I don't know what that means. He's going to be who everyone wants him to be. Right. Um, a couple other teams I could use them, just the Clippers, but they don't really have any assets that I'm interested in. Um, and then maybe Dallas? Yeah, they already have Willie Collie signed, Tim. Uh, Dude, now you've said now you've said Rondo. You said <laughs> yes to Kuzma, and you just praised Willie Cauley Stein. Like someone unplug your mic because that is offensive beyond measure. Yeah. Um, I would take one of Dallas's young players for Holmes. I think Tyrell Terry, Josh Green. Hmm, you would take that for Holmes. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I guess you're kind of talking about that same like pick same twenty-two range. range. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, mm, I don't know. Both. Sure, yeah, both. Both, I'm okay with it. I don't love either one's fit for the Kings is all. Yeah, Terry's probably your backup. Yeah, backup point guard's great for sure, yeah. but I Josh don't know that. Yeah. yeah, I'm not like, oh my gosh, let's go get those guys. Right. Okay, but, well, I, I, I talk to me about 
trading for John Collins this uh, deadline? Or or is all your John Collins talk about this offseason? No, no, I, I would trade for John Collins. Okay, um, what does that look like? I don't think we can anymore because of Marvin Bagley. I, I, Marvin Bagley would be, like, one of the key pieces of that deal, and he's hurt. But in theory, um, what I would probably try to do, I was the Kings pick. So I know the, the report has been Atlanta's looking for a lottery-level pick, and they're not getting that for free agent. Um, mm-hmm. I would try to use the assets from, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Harrison Barnes, uh, I would use those assets to get him. So, like, if I'm moving Barnes to Boston for Neesmith and a pick, I'm sending Bagley, Neesmith, and the pick to Atlanta for Collins. Or And then, and then if they want, like, the money of the elites or, or another guy, that's that would be an offer. Um, I'm not offering any of Sacramento's future first-rounders if they want. We have a couple of kind of nice second-rounders they can have. I don't really care about second-rounders much, to be honest with you. They just grease deals to me. They don't really produce a lot of players. Um, is that enough for Atlanta? Atlanta's kind of in trouble. I don't really know what Atlanta's doing. Like, he's kind of like on the hot Disney. Who is? Sorry. Their GM. Something? I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the impression I got from some articles was that ownership was really pushing a win now thing, and I think it was kind of right. premature. Um, oh, and, sure. and they just went out and, and Trey Young was pushing a win now thing. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, I'm very glad not dealing with that situation. Um, but, yeah, and then they just went out and, like, signed the biggest names to make those guys happy. Um, they spent, like, $200 million in total contracts. This yeah. Like, 206 or something. They're yeah. they're in the sixth seed right now in the East because the East sucks. Right. So, yeah, would you make that deal for John Collins? No. Okay, let me, let me rephrase that. Would you make that deal knowing you're going to near max or max in this offseason? Near max? Um See, this is where you lose me on John Collins. I, I just don't like him as a near max guy. Um, I, I think that. that it's an overpay. Yeah, and I'll say I'm not comfortable enough on. I I feel like I, I haven't seen enough of John Collins. I, I guess to make what I feel like is a fair assessment, but in my mind, John Collins is a negative on the defensive end of the floor, um, and that scares me. I think I'm just over having negative defensive players and at very least he could make up he would make up for it on the offensive end of the floor which like is not what is what you're not seeing with Bagley or even at times with Buddy this season like you were saying earlier um so at least he would make up for that but I think I'm just like so desperate for a defensive forward or or yeah I mean a forward is is what Collins would be um that that max scares me I, I don't want someone to be like a liability on the defensive end of the floor from throwing you max money or near. Yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna like yell at anyone for being like I don't want to pay Collins. I don't I don't think that's a crazy take. I think paying John Collins is, is a little bit of a crazy take. My perspective is I don't see another path toward the Kings being a pretty pretty good 23 year old. Um, yeah, opening up anytime soon. Like he's he's better than any of the other restricted free agents that are potential to be signed. I don't think you're trading for a player of his of his back very often. Um, and the way I justify it in my head is um, I'm paying Buddy Hill $23 million. So if I'm going to pay John Collins $25 million, I'd rather pay John Collins $25 million to Buddy Hill $23 million. And I know that's kind of a backwards way of looking at it because you can be like, well, Tim, you could pay neither of them that money, and that's true. Um, but if I was planning on paying Buddy Hill $23 million a year, 
I'm paying him 25. I, I don't really care. And then I have a solid, really four-player core with Fox, Howley, the pick, and Collins, mm-hmm. which is what I'm – I'm not going to throw back Lander. I'm not even going to do it. Um, and then with Collins, I mean, really what you're looking for is – I know him and Trey have not gotten along this year. That's been clear. And he's his production has suffered. But, I mean, last year he averaged 22 and, 22 and 10 yeah. on 58% shooting from the floor, 40% from three. Um, 80% free throw, and he's a better three-point and free-throw shooter than De'Aaron Fox, for sake. But I, I do agree that you are betting on offense there, and you're, you're going to have to say, okay, my small forward, whoever that is, because now we traded our small forward, and my center are going to have to be defensive um, plus defenders. But, I mean, you do have Halliburton starting, right? He's a plus defender, and if you can pick up a couple yeah. more, I think the core can work. It, it's, it's a bigger gamble. Um, than many than many would probably like to make, but I also think the Kings need to start making some gambles very soon. I I don't I don't know if you agree with me. I know you've been around a little less long, but do you feel like the base is kind of like breaking? A little bit. Um, not really. Like I, the fan base. Um, I I don't I know. I, I think like yeah. I think they're reasonably tired, but I think like that could change really quickly. I, I think that you could be really – and like you said, I, I haven't been around all that long, but I think that it's that there are very few moves from being in a really good position of the future. Like I think if, you know, you see the flashes of Fox and Halliburton this year, if you're seeing Halliburton-level flashes from another player next season or, or even, you know, Fox-level flashes if they end up with that good of a pick that all of a sudden, like, I think you could lose or you could win, you know, 35 game next games next year, but as long as there's an optimism in that trio of a young core moving forward, that the fan base could be happy with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I think you said at the very beginning of the pod, and I think it was very well put. We see upward positive trajectory very soon. I don't need the Kings to make the playoffs next year. I think making the playoffs a goal next year is, is a Vlade-esque mistake because you're probably not making them next year. Again, assuming you're not getting a Fox or Halliburton-level player immediately out of the draft, and you're probably not. Right. Um, but we just we need to see some progress. I, I'm going to be really frustrated if we don't really see any moves trade deadline, and if, if the offseason fizzles out, that's when I think you're going to see some really unhappy people, uh, both in the fan base and in, in inside of the team. I mean, people yeah. are eager to get this team moving because – we are literally like historically bad in in missing the playoffs for 15 years. Um, right. It's just yeah. it's bad. It's not yeah, that hard to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely not. And and with the Collins thing to kind of come back to that a little bit, I, I think you do sell me a little bit when you're talking about you know the assets going out because where I was lost is okay. I'm not including the first rounder this year. Um, no. and you know, whatever protections, I guess, like they're not going to be interested in the top eight protections or anything like this. Um, and, and that's where I would want to be. Um, so you, you do sell me if it's like the Boston assets in return that what you're getting for Barnes is like a three team trade in a way. Right. Um, that makes sense to me. Do you have, do you have like Aaron Gordon interest at all? I've really, I've really backed down on Aaron Gordon. Like, <laughs> I trade Buddy Hill for Aaron Gordon. Yeah. But he's really kind of declined multiple seasons in a row. And I I know it's hard with Gordon because he's been misused every right. year in Orlando. Like they play him at three, 
They play him at the five. I'm like, can you just make him a power forward? Just, right. just he's he's the most power forward of any power forward who's ever power forward, and you play him at small forward and center and shooting guard. Um, so like, I think there's a reclamation project potential there, but I believe he's only got one more year on his deal, right? Like 18 million next year. Yeah, so I'm pull it up here, but I believe so. Yeah. So. And he's an unrestricted agent. I mean, I have his rights, but I have his bird rights, but I'm probably not going to look to extend him, I don't think. I just right. – and he has declined in production year to year to year, I think over three years. So I think Aaron Gordon, the concept is – I'm not sure if Aaron Gordon, the player, is that funny anymore. I looked it up the other day. He's in like the bottom 15th percentile on transition this year. So that like explosive – you know, many like Blake Griffin Jr. that we saw several years ago has never really come to fruition for me. Um, do you have Do you have interest in him? Not really. Just in same sort of reasons as Collins is I, I just don't think I want to give up assets for these guys. And Collins is more intriguing since he'd just be starting that contract. But um, the yeah, the, it's this year and then one more for Gordon. And I just don't know. Like like you said, if it's Buddy Heald, sure. Um, but if it's any, you know, reasonable asset, which I'm sure is what Orlando would want in return, um, like I think if Aaron Gordon was, I don't know, I guess he has been kind of mentioned is on the table and he could be an interesting guy for Boston instead of Barnes. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think that Sacramento's in a spot where they should give up a guy that has, you know, one more year left on this deal and, and then just kind of bet on him re-signing, even if he's, he's from the area um, somewhat and things like that. So not really like in my mind, I think that what Phoenix did is really replicable. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it it, like only dawned on me at some point earlier in this season, like we talk about, you know, Sacramento not being able to get a star in any way outside of the draft. Um, And it's like, well, I think you would say the same thing for Phoenix and they just were in an ideal – they were in a position where they had assets. And, you know, Chris Paul was obviously also looked at a certain way with um, injury concerns and things like this. And OKC was really trying to ship them off. Um, but they were in a position where they had assets and were able to capitalize on that um, availability of a star-level guy. And they already had the young core to fit him into. And I think Sacramento can totally have that in the works. Like, if you are able to – clear clear cap space, say this this offseason or, or next offseason when maybe there's more appealing guys actually even looked at the offseason after this, um, that there could be a guy that is, you know, coming off his his first extension that is like, oh, wow, there's really something here in Sacramento of this core of Fox Halliburton, say, um, I, I don't know, Jalen Green, you know, and that's being optimistic. Um, there's really something here, and if I go there, we could be something really quickly. Um, so I, I think that I, I'm really holding out on this draft pick and remaining flexible, which is kind of the impression that I get Monty is uh, is looking for as well. Yeah, you, you, you get the draft pick this year, you build that core, and then the Kings thing all their future first-rounders. Now, I don't want to deal one today, but like you said, if a, if a star becomes available, you know, and I'm not going to really throw out names here because I think it's a little gratuitous to be like, oh, if so becomes available and then we all rush to to trade for, you know, whoever it is. Um, but stars become available every every year, I, I would guess, an all-star is traded, right? Like, that's I don't think that's a crazy take. You had Westbrook and Harden and John Wall and 
Chris Paul, and every year these guys are moved to a certain extent, and mostly they're going to bigger markets, but um, they're available at times. And when you have the assets, I mean, Monty McNair in Houston, when they traded for James Harden, and then when they traded for Chris Paul, and then when they traded for Russell, or when they traded, not when they traded for Russell Westbrook. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's why, for me, the worst thing we can do this this trade deadline is nothing. Because if we do nothing, all of those avenues close for at least a time. And I just, it's it's hard to open those back up. And, you know, you never know when that next guy becomes available and when you're ready for it. So the more ready you can become more quickly, I think you're just in a lot better shape. Um, especially, you know, going back to Buddy, Buddy Heald, if I can get off of his salary and not really lose um, that much production. I know from a short-term prospect, that's not a good thing, but from, you know, a next-year prospect, if I have Fox, Howley, Barnes, Holmes, the pick, and cap space, you know, the Kings the Kings could maybe do something. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, so where are you – what are your expectations for the deadline that we can kind of close out with? Like, to me, I'm still – betting on the Barnes deal. And I'm not sourcing anyway, obviously. I, I'm just very much I, – I, it makes too much sense to me. And, and maybe it makes too much sense that it doesn't happen, I guess. But, like, I, I just – I don't know. That deal makes too much sense to me. I'm still betting on, you know, if it's Neesmith and a first and the way it falls through is Ainge just absolutely doesn't offer enough, I guess. But that that's my expectation going into this deadline, that there's that. And then, you know, maybe, like, Bielitsa for Philly's New York second rounder or something like this, Whiteside, whatever. Like, the, those guys – uh, are minimal differences, right? It'd be nice to get whatever, but the meat and potatoes of it is like Barnes for me. And I still am expecting the Boston deal. I'm expecting a Barnes move of sorts. Where are you at with it? Yeah, agreed. I I will be more than a little surprised if Barnes isn't moved. And I will also, on the flip side, be more than a little surprised if Buddy is moved. I think I think I think Buddy's staying. I think Holmes is staying. I would say Bealy's the white side, Parker are all gone, whether that's through a trade or a buyout or whatever, a waiver. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be that Barnes isn't gone. I'm not as sold that it's going to be Boston. I, I'm i I'm afraid of Danny Ainge being too confident in his ability to win trades, that he's just not going to come through. And it very much seems like Monty McNair is a guy, and I've never met Monty McNair. He seems like very much like a guy that's going to put his, you know, this is what I want, meet it or don't. You know, you're the one who needs my guy. Um, and I could see that not going over well with Boston. But I, I think Barnes has moved, whether that's to Miami, whether that's to, you know, another squad, whether it's to Denver or um, I know a lot of Utah fans like Barnes, um, Indiana fans like Barnes. Mm-hmm. I think he's gone. I think Buddy's here. I'll be surprised if Buddy's moved, and I'll be I'll be surprised if Barnes is not moved. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, thanks for coming on, Tim, and, and breaking down the cap situation. We're going to close with here. Uh, what is who's your favorite Sacramento King of all time, Tim? My favorite King of all time. I mean, it's going to be Peja. I, I loved Peja growing up. Um, ironically, I wasn't that great of a shooter in basketball, but I loved Peja. Um, if I can go with like a non two thousands, like we all love those guys. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I this is a weird one. Okay, and he's not my favorite, but I really, really appreciated Costa Kufis. Is that a weird pick? It he just came pick, to work, but but he was yeah. No, he, he I mean he was likable. 
he was on a sucky team with a bunch of dudes that didn't want to play hard. Like, that's honestly, like, that's who the Kings have been for 15 years. And Costa came in and played hard every night. He wasn't that good. He was fine for a couple of years, but I just enjoyed his demeanor. He was a goofball. Um, a lot of locker room stories about Costa's uh, shenanigans that I've heard over the years. So yeah, I really enjoy Costa Kufas. Paige will be my favorite. Um, really enjoyed Bibby growing up as well. Had a lot, of, a couple of Bibby jerseys when my family could afford them. Um, I really like him World Peace. Mm-hmm. He was good. I feel like Kufas yeah. is like a Bielitsa esque pick. Yeah, Alex Lynn. I right, like Alex right. Lynn. I, I I like big dudes that come in and work hard. That's who I was as a yeah. player. I mean, I mean, I'm not proud of both nearly of us not saying Dwayne Dedman. You know. Oh man! <laughs> missed the opportunity. Existed. You missed the phone how, call. Okay. Last question for you. Um, not that I'm the one that's supposed to be asking questions. How often do you forget Jabari Parker's on the roster? All the time. All the time. I forget every time I discuss the roster. The other day I tweeted out. I was like, Oh man, if Whiteside's out, the Kings won't have a healthy big man. Or I don't remember exactly what I said. And someone was like, Did you forget about Jabari Parker? And I was like, Yes. Like yes, he doesn't absolutely. really. He doesn't exist. He's not a real person. He's just this figment of body box imagination. Yeah. What percentage of Kings or of uh, NBA fans in general or other teams fans that are, are not Kings fans, uh, what percentage of not Kings fans, there you go, do you think know that Jabari Parker's in Sacramento? Like 20%? Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, like, <laughs> he is pro- – he might be the most – like, what offseason did he sign with, with Atlanta? Was that, like, 2018 probably? Oof. I would guess. Yeah, somewhere in there. I think he signed his two-year deal with a team option or a player option. Sorry, whichever it was. Yeah, uh, he was like a target that year, and then he's just disappeared. Like, dis like witness protection program disappeared, and he was okay for Atlanta. That's the weird thing, but he was okay in like a, I put up numbers and don't do anything guy, not as yeah. like an actual contributor. Omer's going to have to come on here and defend Jabari Parker. If, if Jabari Parker was on who he played for, I don't think anybody on that desk could get it. Not a single one. Yeah. I mean, guys come here to disappear. Like, that's really what they do. Like, I don't think anyone knows that George Hill played here. Yeah. I don't think anyone knows. Outside of Sacramento. Same with Vince. Cooper. I don't think anyone knows Vince played here. Mm-hmm. Zach Randolph. Uh, Zach Randolph let us in score that one year at 14 points a game. Yeah. <laughs> That's so depressing. Every time I look at that, I'm like, he led us in scoring at 14 yeah. points per game. Yeah. Like, most teams have, like, four that score 14 points per game. Right. Okay, actually, one last thing for you. What percentage of our listeners do you think have tried a yogurt pie? Is this a popular yeah, thing? Is zero of the for... percent. Okay. Zero percent. And is this it's, just it's yogurt good. with, like, crumb crust or what? Like. Yeah, it's like yogurt and whipped cream and some fruit. Some people freeze them. It's it's nothing like crazy, but my family made it growing up for Thanksgiving every year because that's God a what my mom could do and could afford to do, and so that was that was the highlight. And my eyes I, I every year for Thanksgiving. So um, okay, wait, one last question for me. Do you like raisins? Are you a raisin guy? Um, you know, I honestly can't say I've had raisins for a couple years here. So unless you my taste have buds have How have you not had a raisin for a couple years? They're in salads. They're in cookies. They're in all sorts of things. Well, yeah, I know. So, like, if I see a raisin cookie, I'm not eating it. Like, okay, if someone – okay, if you're at a workplace, if we ever work again, and there's a tray of, of oatmeal raisin cookies, and it is the only cookie available, you're not eating one. No, not really. Wow. Unless, like, yeah. My, I, I normally am not, like, too big on sweets, but then occasionally my sweet tooth gets the best of me, so, like, maybe if you catch me at the right time. But probably not. 
what about like if someone had a, a cinnamon raisin pastry or like cinnamon raisin bread? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would have to try it just to give it a chance again because I feel like I'm at this this point in my in my in age, I guess you know, old old me over here where my yeah. taste buds are developing and. Yeah, so, yeah, close enough, you know, uh, where there's definitely things I try now where I'm like, well, I thought I hated this for as long as I can remember, but this is actually pretty good. So I would give it a try again. Like a, a raisin can really bump up a salad. Like if you're making a really good salad, cranberries can make a salad really good. Got that pop of flavor with the sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all right. I think croutons really bump up a salad, you know? <laughs> Croutons. You gotta get away from. Do you have a box of croutons pantry? No, I do not. No, no, I have. I have a pre-made Caesar salads that come with okay. croutons. Pre-made kits are amazing. That's all we buy. Yeah, That's all we buy. It's great. So. Raisins are good. Raisins are good in cinnamon rolls. I don't want to hear anyone say anything. They they make it better. The pop of flavor makes the sweetness come across better. Just like salt in the chocolate chip cookie, you need salt. I digress. Yeah. I think Romeo Langford is the raisin of the Celtics deal. Oh, don't say that. Don't <laughs> Take that how you will. <laughs> now I have to now I have to like Langford, and I don't. Yeah, because he's never he's never played. Oh well, we don't know if he's good. You know, we we don't know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we will continue for the rest of his career. It's true. It's true. Maybe he's good. We don't know. All right, Tim. Well, thanks a bunch, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you, you do great work for the Kings Herald. I think you said you got an article that's going to kind of break down a little bit what we talked about today. And you and Sanjesh do a great job with watching the tape. Um, it's your Twitter at Tim Maxwell twenty two, right? I'm, I'm sure everybody yeah, here's already like following you. Yeah, well, I'm like four followers away from sixty one hundred. I've been sitting there for like three weeks oh so. all right yeah i was gonna say we gotta get me. you there but the, me tweeting is gonna do nothing everybody that follows me okay. follows you i might yeah. get you like a four celtics followers actually we can make this there, happen. See, get we me can make this happen yeah you'll be you'll be in my good graces again for picking rage on Rondo. if you can get me five followers wait let me let me double check i need to give you an exact number here i am i feel like i can get you five celtics followers we can make this happen I'm seven away. I lost two more followers. Oh. And any time I tweet an annoying, like, joke tweet, I lose people. Or a food take, I, I legitimately lose people, and I, I don't care. I'll what, what, what recent tweet do you think it was that made you lose those? It was, it was, oh, I just had my mic with my phone. Uh, it was definitely, I said, sometimes I get frustrated by the Kings, but I have to accept reality. Oh, God. It's what it is. This is whole, yes. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fact that you have to clarify shows you that it's corrupt. tweet. And the fact that I clarified which tweet was going to annoy people probably should tell me something about my tweet game. Right, right. I, I uh, Clearly not. Clearly not. All right, Tim. Well, thanks a bunch, man. And uh, like I said, you do great work at the King's Herald. There's watching the tape as well. And all the guys at the King's Herald are putting up great content there all the time. Definitely go check out that website and support the Patreon to support local independent King's coverage. If you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.